One step above, that's more. I give that a lot. <laughs> that's a joke. I am so blessed to be here with you guys tonight. This is a special place. And I, I know you know that, but this is my first time here. And uh, I just really feel the presence of God. I feel excited about what He has for you guys. And, uh, I've enjoyed meeting just briefly some of the ladies that have come to our awakening events. And it's just so awesome to be here with you. I brought some friends, five of them. Uh, all of them are leaders in our church. So pastor's wives, actually one of our pastors, Stephanie, our pastor of prayer, she prays so the rest of us don't have to. And that's not true. She reminds the rest of the staff often she's not going to pray for us. But there's a great anointing on the women that have come with me. I hope you get to receive ministry from them uh, because they're who I would go to every time for ministry. I, you know, when you set aside time to say we just want to encounter Jesus, the Lord really likes that. And he's faithful in response to that. And really what you're saying is, Jesus, we desire for you to come. I, I love what's been said during worship, from the psalm being read to the songs proclaimed to the words of encouragement that this beautiful one, Jesus, wants to draw close. And he does. He wants to reveal who he is. He's fascinating. He's the one that, when the woman was caught in adultery and brought before him uh, as a result of what the law said, right? Like every way she was being treated, being caught in her sin, was a response to the way the law was written. Jesus, uh, as we know, didn't come to abolish the law. He was priest and king, so he was one that cared about the law. Um, but he was also one that cared more about the relationship. And he says to the woman, as the priest, can any of these, were any of these able to condemn you? Right? Because he wrote in the, he wrote on the ground and then everyone left one by one. They couldn't stone her even though the law made provision for her to be stoned. And so he responds to her in compassion. But at the same time, he doesn't tell her that the state she's living in is okay. He says to her, now you go and don't sin anymore. Right? He is both. He deals gently with us. He loves being our friend. I love that that's what uh, was highlighted during worship. He said Mary has done, if she could do one thing, she's chosen the right thing. That's to adore him. That's to know him. That's to draw that's to draw, to draw close, but he's also holy, right? So he, there's a certain standard that he requires, and we're going to encounter him as king and priest. He is, he is to be feared because he's holy, but he made a way for us to draw near. It's fascinating as we get to know him. Oh, and, and that's what you're setting aside here in these encounter services. In, in James chapter 4, uh, that... that whole chapter tells us different things, but we learn that God jealously longs for the spirit he has called to, he has caused to dwell in you. So here he is. He jealously longs for you. We go on in the chapter and it says God opposes the proud, right? Just like the psalm that was read, but he gives grace to the humble. Then he goes on to say, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And then 
and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. We love to quote the part, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you, and it's true. But as, as we draw near, the way we draw near is when we allow him to cleanse us and purify us that we might encounter him in a greater way. So there may be some correction tonight, but there's love in the midst of it, right? The scripture tells us he wounds us, that he can heal us. If you, were, if you came as an alien to earth and invaded an operating room, that's not a great example because how did an alien know anything, but just stick with me. If, if you go into an operating room and all you see is the surgeon cutting someone's flesh open, you might think that the surgeon's intent is to only bring harm, right? It doesn't look like healing in that moment. I had no intention of saying this. But really, the surgeon is doing that to get to the place that needs to be healed. So he wounds us so he can heal us. And I really believe that there is, um, I just kept hearing over and over during worship, Romans 5, make peace with God. There's going to be an invitation to make peace with Him. I, I didn't know what Pastor Jay preached on last night, but I've gathered, uh, this is a gathering, you gather things. I uh, like what I did there. Me too. I'm really proud of it. I'm, I'm uh, really witty how I just have to point out when I say something. Even though it, the, 
what they wanted. They didn't want a humble king. They didn't want a suffering servant. They wanted one that would come and vindicate them and validate them. They wanted one that would go behind the steering wheel and say, no, Israel is my chosen and wipe out all of her enemies. And that's not how he came. And to this day, my own Jewish father is still looking for a different Messiah because he didn't like the way the, the, he came the first time. Didn't like it. When he was bleeding on a cross, they were saying, crucify him because there's no way that he's the one we've been waiting for. Not one that suffers. We want one that comes and does business. They didn't want a humble king. They wanted a warrior who would punish their enemies and vindicate them. And you might say, well, is that a bad thing? I, I mean, not necessarily because it's actually how he's going to come the second time. But we know according to scripture that people aren't going to want that either. People don't want it now, particularly in the church in America. If we're too narrow in the way we preach, then somehow we're haters of people. Right? But because they didn't, they didn't like the way he came the first time, they didn't receive him. And I present to you this evening that he wants to come. But some of you have made decisions about who he is based on the fact that he didn't come the way you thought he would. In your life, in your situation. But the reality is when he comes, everything changes. When he comes, we receive breakthrough, we receive power, we receive everything that we need. But when we hold him at bay, because he can only draw, he can only come to a certain place, he can only uh, come closer if we draw close, according to James 4. And Israel said, no, 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 this isn't what we wanted. We didn't want one that looked like this. We wanted one that punished our enemies. And they're still looking. They're looking other places. They're looking to false messiahs. But he is the coming one. And he came. And he will come again. It's what he does. But more than that, it's who he is. The issue with Israel, it wasn't just that they wanted the enemies of God punished. They had in their minds how he should come. And this is the, this is the issue. It was about them. It wasn't about him and his kingdom and his wisdom. And we all fall into that. How often do we cry out for the Lord to come in a certain way and it's actually more about us than it is about his kingdom being established? Right? His ways are right. Do you know that's going to be your wedding vows at the end of the age as his bride? Your wedding vows will be according to Revelation 19. Your ways are right, oh God. We agree. And that's after great suffering and trial and hardship that's seen on the earth. But when we know fully, see, we just know in part now, but when we see him fully, we'll say, oh God, we agree with you. And so if we're going to be the bride that he's coming for, right, then we have to learn how to say our wedding vows. We have to learn how to say we agree with you, God. Just like what we were being encouraged during worship, when a friend comes, we receive their encouragement. We agree, we agree with you, God, and that day will come. Guys in the room, you might say, oh, the lady preacher talking about the bride of Christ. Listen, if I have to relate to being a son of God, you have to relate to being the bride of Christ. <laughs> uh, and and it's, it's 
what we are. Uh, our text, our foundation for tonight uh, is in Acts chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading in verse 11. But before I do, just a little bit of background uh, to not read the whole chapter for the sake of time. Peter and John are going to the temple for prayer. They're going to a prayer meeting. And when they get there, there's a beggar who's lame, who's placed right outside the temple. Uh, he's brought there every day to beg to receive uh, financial assistance. And when Peter and John see him, they say, we don't have anything to give you. We don't have silver. We don't have gold. But what we have, we're going to give you right now in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Get up and walk. And the scripture says he did. All right, let's begin reading. Acts 3, starting with verse 11. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by your own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that this Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. So Peter and John just go there. They said you rejected him because he came the way you didn't want him to. Right? It's right there. You didn't want a suffering Messiah. You didn't like the idea of a suffering servant. So you said crucify him. Remember that? You said that a murderer should be released in his place. Remember that? Well, it's in that guy's name that this man was just healed. How many know that's a bad day? Right? He said, you reject, but, but here's the mercy of God. But I, I understand, and he understands, the council of heaven understands that you only rejected him out of ignorance. I'm telling you, I hear the Spirit of God saying that tonight. Some of you have been so disillusioned by, by the circumstances of life and things that you cried out for that you didn't see him come the way you thought he would come. And as a result of it, there's healings that 
Daniel wasn't kept from the lion's 
before him, and surely we're going to be rescued from that. Well, tell the believers in the Middle East that. Tell the believers in China who are having their tongues cut out for saying the name of Jesus. Wow. All right, I'm going to, I'm going to calm down a little bit. Love you. In Genesis 3, 
We read, you know, we know it's the fall of man. The enemy deceives Adam and Eve, and they fall for it. God punishes the servant first. I, I want you to hear that the holiness and the mercy of God all wrapped in one. It was Adam and Eve that he was looking for. Whenever you ever thought about that fully, that he's, he, he doesn't need the testimony of a man to know a man. He knew they had sinned, and he was still looking for them. He still wanted fellowship with them. And he says, where are you? I can't tell you how often when I roll over and don't get up at the appointed time that the Lord gave me. He told me a time that I'm to meet him and there's a certain chair where I sit and there are times that I just let the Lord know how tired I am and I'll roll over and now I'll hear him say, like I'll hear the whisper, where are you? And I'll picture him standing by the chair where I sit with just the light on his face. This happened a couple weeks ago when I drug myself in there. I was so tired. I, I was grumpy. I'm like, why would you even want to hang out with me, Lord? I mean, I think you, I, mean, I could almost picture him saying, go back to bed, please, for all of us. <laughs> and I was just in this grumpy mo mode, and I sat down in my chair, and I put my hands up, and just out of discipline, really, I said, Lord, I love your presence. And I heard him immediately say, I love your presence. Because it isn't about him walking. You know, sometimes we have this picture of being like, oh, God, you didn't have your quiet time, right? It's not like that. He's like, I just want to be with you. I want us to get to know each other. You're going to be the display of who I am through dark times. And how are you going to display it without experiencing it? We can't. So there's mercy in his approach, and he's looking for Adam and Eve, and he says, where are you? And they're hiding, and he realizes, or, or he uh, lets them come into the realization, like, I know that I've known the whole time you're naked, right? I liked it that way, but who told you? When did it, what made you become shameful? And so they have this exchange, and the first thing the Lord does, he doesn't tell Adam and Eve their consequences. He looks at the enemy and he says, from this moment forward, you will crawl on the dust of the earth on your belly. When the enemy, when we say yes to the trap of the enemy and we repent, the first thing God does is tell your enemy to get off of you and he punishes him. That's a good thing. And then he gives a promise and he says, there's going to be a seed. There's going to be enmity between the seed of the woman and the enemy, right? This is what the Father says. And when, when this seed comes forth the first time, the enemy is going to crush his heel. But when he comes the second time, he's going to crush the enemy's head. Jesus, the coming one, and he wants to come tonight. It is the plan of the enemy to keep us from looking for him as he will be. It's okay to say, God, I don't understand your ways. I don't get why some things play out the way they do, but I know you're good, and I know your ways are right. He's the coming one. Jesus warned his disciples in Matthew 24 of things that would trend when the end was coming near. If you read them, especially right now with all the storms and things happening in North Korea. It's really staggering. He's saying it to his disciples. He's saying it to his followers. I'm not going to sneak in any rapture views here, but maybe 
In Matthew 24, 24, it says, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. I'm going to take the last few minutes we have together in my time, because I know the Lord wants to minister to people tonight, to talk about what makes it possible, because Jesus is saying, be careful, there's going to be false Christs that come. And they're going to perform signs and wonders. It's going to be attractive to you. And even the elect will be deceived if possible. We have to figure out what the if possible is so we can avoid it. Right? And that if possible only comes through an inaccurate view of who he is. <coughs> A few months ago, I asked the Lord, what are the false Christs in America? Because there were different Messiah claims at different times through my life as a Christian. But what is it right now, God? What are the false Christs that are being paraded over America? Do you have that image that I talked to you about at the time? Is it up there? This is what the Lord showed me. I know that's daunting and black and heavy. It's the only one I could find. But that's the picture he showed me. Where you go, isn't that so beautiful, coexisting, many paths to one end? I'm not saying that we need to live in some kind of hatred, but there is this false sense of, wow, look at this peace that comes. Right? If we follow the prophetic timeline, we know that the Antichrist will come as a man of peace and will be greatly attractive to many, but then he will take off his mask and he'll be a man of hatred and death. And this path, where we just say there's many, there's many paths to one end, it leads to destruction. And if possible, we'll be deceived. In that, in finding that balance of what it means to love, but stand in the narrow way of the truth. I don't know how to do that. But if I hang out with him, I'm going to learn how. Because it's who he is. And another part of who he is, is he's the coming one. And when we draw near to him, he draws near to us. All right, so this inaccurate view of who he is. What causes this inaccurate view? I'm going to talk to you briefly about four things. I promise my introduction was longer than the message. I shouldn't promise. I think it, I think it was. There's, four, there's actually more than four things, but these are the four that I believe are on God's heart for us tonight. What causes an inaccurate view? What brings a wrong filter to our view of God? And these are the ones I believe he told me to share. Number one, self-pity and self-consumption. It could be said self-focus, self-indulgence, offense. I'm going to read a couple definitions for you. Self-pity. To have a greater desire to receive sympathy for your condition and or circumstances of life than to receive the redemptive healing touch of God. To have a greater desire to receive sympathy for your condition and or circumstances of life to receive a redemptive healing touch from God. Naaman, who had leprosy, when God had this whole plan through Elisha to heal him, and Elisha's servant came out and said, dip in the water of the waters of Jordan, and Naaman didn't like that. I, I don't want Elisha's servant. I don't want Elisha. And I don't want to dip in those waters. I want to dip in the waters of Damascus. That would make more sense. And Elisha's, uh, or Naaman's Friend, true friend said, why are you making demands? Like God's going to heal you. 
right? This is self-pity where we are more consumed with our condition and our condition being coddled than actually receiving God's healing. Self-consumption, to be more focused, absorbed, or concerned with your own ideas, desires, and perspective, causing you to be oblivious or disinterested with another view and or the impact of your actions. I'm going to read that again. Self-consumption. <clears throat> again, I'm not mad. I, I feel convicted in my own heart as I, as I share these things with you. Self-consumption. To be more focused, absorbed, or concerned with your own ideas, desires, and perspective, causing you to be oblivious or disinterested with another view and or the impact of your actions. And these things are a trap and will give us an inaccurate view of the Lord. I think this is illustrated profoundly in 1 Kings 22. I don't have time to read the story, but I'm going to just tell it to you. I'm doing everything you told me not to do, precious brother in the sound booth. Be consistent with the microphone. I'm trying. <laughs> so King Ahab, the king of Israel, uh, just decided one day, you know, we haven't been at war with Syria for like three years. There's been peace. You can go back and read it later. I think this is a pretty accurate summary. And so he says, you know what? They have some land of ours and it just bothers me. They have it. I think I'm going to go get it. And so he goes to Jehoshaphat, the king of the southern kingdom, Judah, so the two kings of Israel come together, and he says to Jehoshaphat, we haven't, we've been at rest with Syria for three years, but they still have that land that bothers me. Can you help me go get it? Jehoshaphat says, they have everything I have is yours. My weapons, my men, my horses, you can have it all. But shouldn't we inquire of the Lord first? And so Ahab says, no problem, we'll inquire the Lord, calls together 400 prophets. They sit, it's a really a beautiful picture, you really should bring 1 Kings 22 later. So there Ahab and Jehoshaphat are sitting in their kingly robes on their thrones, and these 400 prophets come, and they say, this is what we want to do, we want to go to war with Syria, we want to get our land back, but we want to inquire of the Lord, and 400 prophets said, do it. It's what God's saying. So Ahab says, yes. And Jehoshaphat, I guess, felt something inside. And he said, is there no one else we, we can inquire of? And, and I'm sure Ahab's irritated. 400 prophets, Jehoshaphat. But he said, yeah, but if we asked all the prophets, he's like, well, there's one more. His name's Micaiah, but I don't like him. He doesn't ever tell me anything good. Seriously, go read it. That's exactly what he says. He never tells me what I want to hear. He doesn't tell me anything good. Forget him. And Jehoshaphat says, no, I think we should. I think we should. And Ahab says, okay, let's get him. So someone goes to get him, and when they go to get Micaiah to, so that he can seek audience with the king, or the king can seek audience with him, he says, well, this is what the 400 prophets have said. And Micaiah says, well, I'm going to speak what the Lord wants me to speak. So he gets before Ahab, and Ahab tells him the scenario, and Micaiah says, you know what, go ahead, it'll be fine. And Ahab says, no, come on, I know that's not the real word from the Lord, uh, you never tell me anything good, what's the real word? He says, if you do it, you'll die. <laughs> and so he's like, all right, I'll take part of that, I'm going to wear, I'm going to have Jehoshaphat wear my robe. I mean, how many of you know Ahab was not Jehoshaphat's friend? Right? You wear my clothes, I'll wear your clothes. I'm going to believe part of the 
And basically the story turns out where Ahab is killed and everything Micaiah said happened. What's my point? I believe that Ahab was so self-consumed that he wanted God's wisdom and counsel if it was what he wanted. And it causes an inaccurate view of God. Oh, God, Micaiah's God. He doesn't want me to do anything that would actually bring me success or pleasure. And I'm telling you, I feel it by the Spirit. Some of you have said that. For whatever reason, God doesn't want to bless me. He blesses everyone else. And there's this inaccurate view because of self-pity and self-consumption when really what God was trying to do was deliver Ahab from death. So Jesus wants to come. He wants to draw near. But there is... And uh, there is the, these things that are causing an accurate view of self-pity and self-consumption. And Jesus is saying, even the elect will be deceived if possible. Let's remove the impossible. Get rid of your self-pity. Get rid of your self-consumption. And say, it's not about me. Love you. <laughs>
ears are open to their cry, and he delivers them out of all of their trouble. The enemy comes and says, a loving, God, a loving God would never let you go through this. And then we say, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord will deliver them of them. <coughs> Your belief system about God is what protects you. And because we spend more time processing the political scene, the geopolitical scene, with our understanding, because we spend more time brushing our hair, I don't know where that came from. I don't even spend that much time brushing my hair. But we spend our time doing anything than being in God's presence and reading His Word, and we have no shield. The enemy comes and thumps us on the forehead, and we're like, oh God, right? Some of you have heard that the acronym for fear, false evidence appearing real. It's what the enemy does. He magnifies himself, and we cannot stand against those fiery darts. Without the shield of faith. This is the destiny of the believer. Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out roots to sends out roots by the stream. That tree does not fear when the heat comes. Come on, you guys. Our confidence is in the Lord. We don't fear when the heat comes. Our leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. <clears throat> Even the elect will be deceived if possible. Don't let it be possible. Get rid of the self-pity and self-consumption and get rid of the fear. He wants to deliver <clears throat> people of fear tonight. Number three, pride. He's been kind of hitting this tonight. <clears throat> Already. I don't think I need to spend a lot of time on it. We know what pride is. It's a confidence in ourselves. Pride has a need to be right. Pride refuses to surrender to another way or another person's perspective. Pride always allows opinion to trump truth. Right, doesn't it? Pride allows opinion to trump truth. Pride loves its own way. But pride will cause us to have an inaccurate view of who he is. Proverbs 16, 17 through 19, the highway of the upright avoids evil. Those who guard their ways preserve their lives. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. Even the elect will be deceived if possible. Don't let it be possible. That pride that has to be right, that pride that is confident in your own ways and not confident in the ways of the Lord. And he's coming to remove those things tonight because he's the coming one. And he wants us to remove the if possible. Pastor Paul said this earlier, it's not for everyone in the room but you. It's for you. He'll give you what you need to remove these things. And number four, the last thing that will cause you to see God in an inaccurate way is weariness. I was praying for you all on this one more than anything. Some of you have never wanted to quit so bad. You're tired. Galatians 6, 8 and 9, for the one who sows to his own flesh 
will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So the scripture is saying that we'll reap if we don't grow weary, but the scripture is also saying that even in doing good, it's common to grow weary. There's no judgment in that. He gives the warning because it happens. Right? You're doing good things. Trying to be mom of the year, dad of the year, wife of the year, husband of the year, church worker of the year. Right? Like those are all good things. That's what's been entrusted to our care. But he's saying don't don't let yourself grow weary. You will reap a harvest if you don't give up. Well, I am weary. What do I do? Well, Jesus tells us in Matthew 11, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. Uh-oh, here we go again. We can't demand that he come the way we want him to come. He said, my yoke is easy. Your flesh will hate it. But if you yoke yourself to me, it's going to be an easier path. Yoke yourself to me. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble. And you will find rest for your soul. How do you know soul weariness is way harder to deal with than even physical weariness? He says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So what do we do? What do we do if we've had an inaccurate view of God? If we've had an inaccurate view of Jesus? We've got to get that view accurate because he's the coming one. And when he comes, we don't want to reject him because he didn't come the way we wanted him to. The builder and maker of this house is God. And he's building something here. But he's the one that writes the blueprint. You're not. And we can't say, mm, that's pretty good, God, but we don't really. No, he's writing a blueprint, and I'm telling you, he's building something awesome and beautiful here. I, I love what he's building here. But we've got to position ourselves to receive him as he is. So what do we do if we haven't? Peter and John, we do what they told us. Repent and turn to God. So that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing might come. He wants to bring times of refreshing. I can see it in my spirit. I saw people laughing in the spirit here. I saw people dancing in the spirit. But he's not looking for people that just look alive and have a reputation of being alive. But are dead on the inside. He wants to make you alive from the inside out. And some of you need to, according to Romans 5, make peace with God. The same Jesus that came in humility is coming again. And he's not coming riding on a donkey, but he's coming riding on a white horse. And it is our future. It is what he has prepared far outweighs the joy that far outweighs any trouble that we will endure. But we've got to see him right now. He's not Santa Claus that just, we order our prayer and he gives us everything we ask. No, he, his, his wisdom far outweighs just the giver of gifts, and he is that. But he sees our beginning to our end, and he's looking for a people who will trust him. I'm going to close with this illustration. I was actually going to share a different one. 
but I felt like this was the one to share. I've shared it quite a few times, but I really feel compelled to share it here. So I have my time of revelation is usually right when I'm falling asleep or right when I'm waking up in that twilight. It's actually a very common time of revelation. Right, just as you're falling off to sleep is when you realize you didn't you didn't turn off the you know you didn't do the things you were supposed to do. Or oh man, I forgot that at the grocery store. It's in that twilight. God designed that time for it to be revelatory. Some of you need to start consecrating that time right before you go to sleep. Like Lord, I want you to speak to me in those moments. And I went through this practice of consecrating that time to the Lord. And there was this one morning I was waking up very early and I saw a picture and I don't know whether it was a dream or just a picture I was seeing. I, I couldn't really distinguish because I, I moved into clarity and being awake. But I saw this picture of a groom, like at a wedding, pacing back in front at the altar, looking at his watch, looking out the window, pacing, looking this desperation and love in his face looking for his bride. That's what I saw, that I was in full clarity. Whether I woke up or kind of snapped into this realm. And that's all I saw. Of course, that imagery, bride of Christ, the waiting groom, I'm an end times preacher. It's not like I had to uh, have some interpreter of that vision. But I, my heart was beating and I knew the Lord was wanting to say something. To me, but my mind kind of went away from me for a moment. I was picturing that movie, Runaway Bride, you know, with the wedding groom, and she's riding on her wedding dress away from him. And so I'm picturing all of that, and I'm like, Lord, what are you saying? Because I knew he was wanting to speak something to me, and this is what he said. He said, Terry, that will not be me. I'm not going to be standing, waiting for my bride, looking at my watch, wondering if she'll come. I will have a bride who is as wholehearted in her love for me as I am in my love for her. And I will have a bride that when she sees me, she's going to come running. Because it's what he does. And he deserves a bride who is matched in her love for him. And I want you to hear him. He will have it. And he wants you to... to Submit yourself to say, Lord, I want you to remove everything that hinders love. The worship team can come. The guy that was on the drums. Thank <laughs> you. 
situation of the city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. This is for you guys in the city that he set you in. He said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water and threw salt in it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage, and even remember that was there, will come from it. So the water has been healed to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke. I only spoke this to one other pastor, a pastor in Nashville, but he wants to cleanse the water of this city. And he's found people that are trustworthy, that he can do that with. So Lord, I pray right now that your cleansing would come. I don't want to bring shame to anyone, but if there's any couple or that has dealt, or our ladies that have dealt with miscarriage, will you just put your hand in the air? So, Lord, I pray right now for a restoration in the wombs of men of God. Spiritual wombs and physical wombs. No more miscarriages. Oh, yeah, spiritual wombs. Where you were called to birth something. But there was a miscarriage and you have stayed in that place of just not understanding. Raising your fist towards God. Saying, no, life doesn't come for me. When I believe for it, it's born prematurely. It doesn't come to full stature. Lord, I pray for a cleansing right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that this church, these people right now, will see you as the coming one. Thank you, Lord. If you're here tonight, this is the call I feel to give.
touch your people, specifically these who have stood, in the name of Jesus. Come on, if you're feeling a worship rise up in you right now, just join these that have stood. You just want to worship your bridegroom king. Well, even before the, the band begins to sing, you just tell him he's good. He's the coming one. He is the humble king. It's not that he was that for a time and then changed his mind. He's the humble king who comes in mercy. He's the humble king that has kindness on his face, kindness in his eyes. And he wants you to see him. But he's also holy and he has a plan. And he has to remove everything that hinders love on this wicked earth that the God of this age has rule of. Come on, just declare him as holy right where you are. Humble king and conquering warrior. The one who forgives the adulterous woman and says, neither do I condemn you. None of them can condemn you. I don't condemn you Substances, things that you're viewing on the media, and you're like, if I ever brought that to the light, I can never bring that to, love, to the light. I would lose everything. See him rightly tonight. He looks at you and he says, I do not condemn you, but I want to touch you that you might sin. 